So, Danny, because I'm always talk about Danny. Mm-hmm. She's story. interesting. She is interesting. She's a little spitfire. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I married her. But I will preface this with <laughs> Danny is, I mean, you know Danny. She. Mm. A lot of people know Danny. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? Who's I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. She's some. I don't know. She's pretty cute, though. <laughs> she's she's timid, and I would say maybe a little reserved. Mm-hmm. Not particularly loud or outspoken. In public, at least, thoughtful. Thought very thoughtful, respectful. Follows. She's a rule follower. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm like. This is a dumb rule. Let's not follow it. And she was like, no, we have to. <laughs> but, it, but it says it's a, it's oh, a rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's a rule follower. So the other day, Danny goes, we have to go put gas in my car. And I was like, okay, well, let's just go do it tonight. We don't have anything else to do. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, 1145 on a Saturday because <laughs> we're cool. Party animals. <laughs> So we paused Netflix <laughs> and um, we were both in like sweatpants mm-hmm. and, you know, just like whatever. We're just going to go gas. It'll be fine. Jammies. Jammies. Yeah. So we're driving and we're only maybe less than 10 blocks away from our house. And we drive past a police officer and then... We both watched in the, you know, side mirror and the rear view mirror, watched him make a U-turn in the middle of the road mm-hmm. <laughs> and start following us. I was like, well, that's weird. And then Danny's like, I'm not speeding. Like, all of my headlights work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not speeding. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's weird. Nothing and out of got, the ordinary. Nothing out of the ordinary, but because it's an officer and it's the middle of the night, she got a little tense. As so you we're do. Dry, as ever, who doesn't? Who doesn't? If you don't, you're a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> and or you're a cop. Or you're <laughs> also, also true. So, but yeah, like he turned around in the middle of the road. It's like, you, there's something mm-hmm. happening yeah. here. And Danny's like, he's going to pull me over. He's going to pull me over. And I was mm-hmm. like, you're not doing anything. Maybe he thinks you stole your car. Yeah. <laughs> so we're driving. And it was, I, I clocked it a, a couple days later. Mm-hmm. He followed us for a solid, t- did I say two and a half miles? Yeah. Two and a half miles. Mm-hmm. And finally the, oh, also he had at one point a car turned between us. So then like a car pulled behind us mm-hmm. and he was between us and the cop. The cop passed that person in a turn lane mm-hmm. illegally and like passed him to get in front of him to make to, to follow us. So I was like, oh boy, this is even stranger. <laughs> so Ugh. finally we're two and a half miles later from where he were from where he turned around initially and his lights finally go on. So we pull over and he walks up to the car and Danny rolls down her window and he goes, you know why I pulled you over? And Danny's like, no. <laughs> and he goes, well, back there at that turn, you, uh, you clipped the bike lane a little. And Danny, 
Danny no shit looks at him in the face and goes, is that the real reason you pulled me over? And And I'm sitting in the passenger seat just chilling and like do this slow (laughs) turn to look at her like, oh my, you just asked a police officer, who are you? (laughs) And so then... He proceeds to say, like, uh, well, you, and, you know, uh, it kind of started, and Danny goes, because you've been following me for a while. <laughs> so, uh, so why did you really pull me over? Oh, my God. And he goes, well, well, to be perfectly honest with you're, you, ma'am. You're, you're interrogating a police She's interrogating not only a police officer, but a sheriff. <laughs> Danny. Danny was like, there's a new sheriff. (laughs) So good. It's so good. So he proceeds to say, well, I don't know if you know this, but you're driving a car that is very frequently stolen. And Mm -hmm. she goes, yeah, I know it was. And I got it back. (laughs) He's like, well, I already ran your license. I already ran your plates. It it's clear obviously mm-hmm. you are the owner mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh here's your license you go ahead and you have a nice night <laughs> she's like thanks <laughs> and we proceeded to drive away with danny like <laughs> shaking in her boots <laughs> the new responsibility of being a sheriff <laughs> Deputy Danny. Oh my gosh. The cutest. It was so funny. I, and she was like, I can't believe I did that. And I was like, I can't believe you did that either. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. That would oh be so scary. She was shook to her core. But we, and then we joked on the way home. I was like, oh look, there's a whole, there's a whole slew of other policemen out. Maybe you'll get pulled over again. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure he probably called around and was like, hey, there's a sassy broad driving around to the little blue Acura. Don't pull her over. So basically what has been established here is that we need to, Danny's clearly been listening too much of our nonsense. (laughs) She's getting real She's sassy. So inspired. She's so inspired and full of moxie. Now we have to. We're gonna come up with a disclaimer to like put at the beginning of every episode, and like side effects may include, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You'll you'll listen to it. Maybe uh, maybe next week. It'll be good. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> uh, intro stories. Gotta love them. Mm-hmm. What's up with me? Mm-hmm. Nothing much. Drinking my kombucha. Kombucha. Danny's in the room. I'm Kiana. I'm Cassie. Danny's here. You're drinking screwdriver? No, it's just orange juice now. Oh. (laughs) The the vodka went a little to my head. Oh. (laughs) I stood up to go to the bathroom during our break and went, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. (laughs) So, now, now just water and orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've got nothing. It's just another hump day. Hump day. 
that's one of my favorite Geico commercials. Yeah. It makes me laugh really hard. Hopefully your weather is beautiful. Yes. And um, hopefully you had a good Mother's Day. Yeah. Had a lovely Mother's Day. Had some nice brunch, mm-hmm. perhaps. Made your mom some, you know, made it or took her out to get French toast, perhaps. Yeah. That's mother. Uh-huh. It's a florist. Oh. And so for Mother's Day, because everybody's getting flowers, mm-hmm. she celebrates hers later. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I love that. I was going to be a florist for a little while. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought about it. Uh, Jen, who we work with, oh, yeah. is a florist. She's, she made the flowers for my wedding. She sure did. She sure did. They're lovely. Seems like just like a nice skill to have. Yeah. Okay. So. I haven't died on any hills lately. You haven't. <laughs> surprising. Hope everybody is taking care of themselves. Yeah. After and the last week. Yeah, that was a hard harsh week. Harsh realities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This week will be nicer, at least on my behalf. Yeah. Mine's pretty inspiring. Hmm. Who goes first this week? It's you me. <laughs> it's me. I had to swallow. <laughs> I had. I made a comment about how I haven't drank enough of this kombucha yet. Mm-hmm. And so I have been now really powering through it, <laughs> chugging. I can't. I can't chug kombucha. I get real bubbly. Yeah, that's fair. It's on a little flat. Oh, bummer. No, it's fine. I like it. I don't need fizz in every drink. I do. That's well, why wrong. we drink bubbly. All day. <laughs> or day. <laughs> oh. Didn't realize. Not bubbly like champagne. Oh. <laughs> it's like LaCroix. Mm. Only oh, it's called okay. bubbly. I was like, I guess Cassie has something to celebrate every gosh every darn goddamn day. <laughs> Living my best life. We don't drink diamonds by the glass. Diamonds in the glass. Whatever. By the case. By the case. The meaning I of expensive taste. Okay. Kanna, mm-hmm. if I can take it away. Who are you doing this week? Okay. Glad you asked. Tell me. I'm going to talk about it. Okay. So remember mm-hmm. when you did the Night Witches? Yes. And, I... and you were like, ooh, is it? And then you stopped and then you didn't tell me. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So I'm going to talk about the women who I thought you were going to talk about. Okay. And they are the... Ladies of the... Oh, I didn't put it on the top. <laughs> she the... did not title this paper. <laughs> Ladies of the Harlem Council of Resistance. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Harlem Dutch, not Harlem, New York. Got oh. The OG Dutch. <laughs> the, the OG Harlem, I mean. Oh my gosh. Okay. With two A's. H-A-A-R-L-E-M. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is exciting. I don't know anything about this. And those... There's only three. I thought there were more, which is why I thought (laughs) it was the Night Witches when you said it was a bunch of ladies, but I was mistaken. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they were Hanny Shaft, Freddie, and Trues Overstegen, who were sisters. Okay. That's why I said one last name, two first names. Gotcha. My sources are... An article called Her War Never Stopped, The Dutch Teenager Who Resisted the Nazis by Naomi O'Leary. The Smithsonian entry on Freddie Overstegen and Henny Shaft, Wikipedia, and a Vice article called This 90-Year-Old Lady Seduced and Killed Nazis as a Teenager. (laughs) (laughs) I like where this is going already. Yeah. Okay. So, in the beginning of World War II... The Netherlands opted to remain... Oh, this is background. 
So in the beginning of World War II, the Netherlands opted to remain neutral in the war. However, on May 10th, 1940, under orders from Adolf Hitler himself, Nazi Germany invaded the country. Hmm. They did that a lot. Sure did. Five days later, after the bombing of Rotterdam, Dutch forces surrendered and the Nazi... And the Nazi... And the Netherlands were officially under Nazi control. Not great. Yeah. Nazi... Great. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to go for a pun and couldn't... (laughs) Uh, we're gonna miss. <laughs> God, just I'm really. <laughs> I shall push forth. Due to the country's dense populations, lack of real wilderness, and its geographic position, which was only bordered by German-controlled territories, it was difficult to conceal illicit activities from the occupying power. Because of this, Dutch resistance took form in small-scale decentralized cells, which. In- engaged in independent activities. One such group was in Harlem, and it was called the Harlem Council of Resistance, but, like, in Dutch, mm-hmm. not in English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which consisted of five men and three women. Okay. Those three women were Hanny, Freddie, and Trues. I'm a little sad that you didn't write out the Harlem Resistance in Dutch. <laughs> I really would have really enjoyed you trying to read Dutch and say say Dutch words. Because it is fucking hard. Don't know if you know. It's real hard. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to give you a little insight on how I like to take my notes. <laughs> because it's real extra. Okay. <laughs> so, I have an old laptop. It's not great. Zeth has a new, top, new laptop. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Okay. I sit on my bed. My little queen-sized bed. Mm-hmm. I have Zeth's computer, for which I do the typing, mm-hmm. and my computer, for which I do the research. <laughs> And this is to prevent me from doing any real, like, copy and pasting. Fair enough. Because, you know, modern day Yugoslavia, (laughs) that happens when I do that. Oh, man, that was so good. (laughs) And so, as I was doing this, whenever I reached a Dutch word, the whole, like, moving my head back and forth was not something I was into. (laughs) You're like, why are there 14 letters for this three syllable word how many a's Mm-mm. what Mm-mm. and like the whole neck turning thing Mm-mm. i have no neck very little <laughs> ditto girl it ditto. doesn't like doing a lot of work Mm-mm. and so when i encountered it i was like well that's gonna be thrown out <laughs> <laughs> sorry about it fair fair enough so you know if you're interested put it in a translator okay Sorry about it. In February 1941, Dutch communists and radical socialists banded together to lead a strike protesting the deportations of young Jewish men. The strike was one of the few successful acts of protest against the Nazis and resulted in thousands of Dutch factory workers walking out. The Nazis responded in kind, brutally repressing the Dutch and making joining the resistance even more dangerous. It was right around this time that the Overstegen sisters were approached by the resistance and they asked them to join. Hot damn. Um, Freddie and Trues, at the time of the invasion, lived at home with their mother, who was a part of the Communist Party and a staunch figure of resisting Nazi fascist powers. Hmm. In their apartment, they lived with a Jewish couple that they were sheltering from Nazi powers. And in another action against the Nazis, Freddie and Trues would ride their bikes around the city and hand out anti-Nazi pa- pamphlets. Trues, like, 
dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Sounds sounds like a very, very scary thing to yeah. be like, hi, Nazis! <laughs> like, yeah. out pamphlets on the side. This action was noticed by the Council of Resistance commander Franz van der Weyl. Solid. Which prompted him to ask their mother for permission to join the coordinated effort. She said yes and reminded the girls to always stay human. And when Truis, sorry, when Trues was 16 and Freddie was 14, Goodness. they were officially part of the Harlem Council of Resistance. Gosh dang. So the reason that they were able to ride around on their bikes and hand out anti-Nazi pamphlets is because they were like, these children they aren't were doing children. anything. Oh my gosh. And they had little baskets on their bikes. Bring, bring. <laughs> I spent yeah. some time in Amsterdam. We've heard. You've heard. Mm-hmm. And cheese. I don't know if this is true, mm-hmm. and I think it is, but I say it all the time. Bikes get the right of way in Amsterdam? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's not a lie. But it's very hard to navigate that <laughs> as a pedestrian that's used to, like, being the one of the roads. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, like, every once in a while, you just hear a bring, bring. And I was like, Jesus fucking, I gotta run. Because <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was going to get run over by a bike. <laughs> they just crash into you and you go, ow! And like, watching like actual locals mm-hmm. walk around the town, it's like a sixth sense that they have to just like... They're just dipping and diving. Yeah. They just know when the bikes are coming. You know... I would be a monster. They'd be like, can you fucking move? <laughs> be like, I'm, which way do I go? Do I go left? Do I go right? Just imagine you coming back from Amsterdam, like, Just bruised and hey, beat. Got hit by 12 bikes. <laughs> Accurate. Got a lot of tickets because they have the right of way, not me. It was my fault. <laughs> okay, now to Hanny. At the time of the invasion, Hanny was studying to become a human rights lawyer. Mm. Hanny was prompted to join the effort after university students were required to sign a declaration of allegiance to the occupying authorities. Nope. Yep. Hanny refused to sign the petition, and so did 80, like 80% of students refused to sign it. But she refused to sign the petition and could not continue her studies because of it. So she moved back in with her parents. She began to steal ID cards for Jewish residents, passed out newspapers that were deemed illegal by German forces, and acted as a courier. What's that word? Courier. (laughs) Courier. Mm -hmm. I hate that word, and I have it in here like 10,000 times. Just because, like, it's French, right? Yeah. And so, like, things, you don't pronounce things, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But in English, it's courier. Yeah. Anyways, she did that. (laughs) Um, she delivered shit on a bike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she she delivered... Sh- Courier. Mm-hmm. Courier. <laughs> um, anyways, she delivered shit on a bike <laughs> before asking to do more as a part of the coordinated effort with the Council of Resistance. And she was 23 at the time. So she was my age. Oh, sassy. Mm. <laughs> these three ladies were key to the resistance because they were women and because of their ages they were never suspected of any wrongdoing and they were able to consistently slip under the radar 
Not only that, they weaponized their femininity and used it as a tool to kill Nazis. Let's oh, begin. Let's get into it. Their mission assignment started off with arson. You know. A little arson. Light stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the sisters' earliest assignment, the sisters being oh yes, both of them, mm-hmm. prior to Hanny joining them, was to burn down a Nazi warehouse. They flirted with the guards as a distraction and then just fucking torched it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> also, the whole time that I was doing this research, mm-hmm. I was like, if you're... So, Freddie was the youngest, and she was 14, but she was said to look like a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And if she's, like, flirting with Nazis, mm-hmm. they're, like, pedophiles. <laughs> they're fucking creeps. Yeah. Ugh. So, let's... The undertone make, of, make that note of that in there. Mm-mm-mm. Um, once Hanny joined, the ladies were taken to an underground potato shed and taught how to shoot. They were most... Famously known for two methods of killing Nazis. Oh, girl. First, the Dutch (laughs) drive-by. I mean, I've heard of an Amish drive-by, which consists of carriages, but I've never heard of a Dutch (laughs) drive-by. Well, it's not actually what it's called, but it's what I'm calling it. And I think we should spread it. This is purely conjecture. Can is just making shit up. It sounds so good. Please tell me what a Dutch drive-by is. Basically, what would happen is that one girl would be riding the bike mm-hmm. while the other rode either on the back or on the handlebars. Mm-hmm. And in the bike's basket, there would be a gun. <gasps> and so they would drive past like Nazi officers, uh-huh. very discreetly take it out and shoot them. Oh my gosh. And then the Nazis would like look around and be like, "What? There's only little girls. They're not the ones doing the shooting." <laughs> and so they like never rose suspicion and constantly got away with it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Uh, okay. Also very sad. The first the first I don't know why I'm laughing. The first girl of the, the three to kill somebody was the 14-year-old. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's not funny. That's she, really sad. It's terrible. But she looks like a baby, but she's like, pew, pew. Yeah. And, like, they did suffer from PTSD, and it's not funny. Oh, no. But also the image of, like, a 12-year-old on the handlebars mm-hmm. of a bike. I can't. Come on. Yeah. So, s- second... The second way they would kill people, and most famously, the girls would walk into popular Nazi bars and entrap targets by flirting with them mm-hmm. and asking the men to take walks with them into the forest. Oh. Once in the forest, they would run into one of the members of the resistance council mm-hmm. who would, like, scold the girl, like, this whole, like, production of, like, you can't be out here, turn around and mm-hmm. go back to mm-hmm. town. And as they would turn around, the men, the Nazi now facing the other way, they would get shot in the back and killed and brought to a pre-dug grave. Oh, shit. Yeah. Mm. In, um, in the Vice. Did I mention the Vice article? Yeah, you article? did. The Vice article. It's basically just an interview with Freddie, uh-huh. who's now 93. Or oh. no, she died. Uh-huh. At the time was 93. And she was recounting, like, the first time uh-huh. that this, had, this method was used. Oh, my gosh. And she was like, and we put them in pre-dug graves. 
they might still be out there. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of this 93-year-old lady going, well, we put them in these graves. (laughs) Oh, come to think of it, they might still be there. That that interview that I read was hysterical because he was like, it was on Remembrance Day of the war. Oh, uh uh-huh. And he was like, how does waking up on this day make you feel? Or, like, whatever. And she's like, oh, it's always hard because I remember, like, all the all the people who have fallen. Mm-hmm. And today is especially bad because I have to go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love Freddie so much. <laughs> True hero. And at the, at the end of that interview, he asked about another conflict that was happening. Because mm-hmm. I think it was in 2016. And she went on this thing and was like, basically was like, well, now, what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And he's like, what are you going to do? She's like, I'm going to make a sandwich and some tea. I've been up since 6 (laughs) a.m. Like, (laughs) she just. Oh, she sounds like a real peach. She was a hoot. A hoot. A hoot. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they shot, killed, and buried in the forest. Okay. I love that they first. I just real quick. I love that they turn this into some kind of like theatrical production where they're like, "Oh, hey, big boy, you want to go?" How do Dutch people talk? Hello. Hello, hello, big boy. You want to go into the forest with me? Is it Swedish? I hated that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what happened. Please, everyone, forgive me for that nonsense. What I was trying to say was that it be, it was it was like a whole is a whole mm-hmm. thing and that that mm-hmm. tickles me. It's not just like well, you know, we can do it the easy way, the pew pew yeah. like little just Dutch drive by, <laughs> or we can do this and this is some like soap opera like yeah. plot. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. Let's add a little pizzazz to the murder. Right. Is essentially what they were we doing. We need some sex and some violence added to this. <laughs> Although they were fighting for what they believed in, they never relished these dangerous and har- harrowing assignments. Um, Trues once said, It was tragic and very difficult. We cried about it afterwards. We did not feel it suited us and never suits anybody unless they are real criminals. One loses everything. It poisons the beautiful things in life. Oh, Yeah. Freddie, Trues, and Hanny not only killed Nazis, they were also given other risky tasks. They helped transport Jewish re- Jewish refugees to hiding spots around the city, blew up railways, mm. and planted um, a communist flag at the headquarters of the National Socialist Movement. They also helped smuggle Jewish children through the Netherlands, sometimes even as bombs fell from Allied aircraft overhead. The sisters survived all the way through the war, fighting bad guys. However, 18 days before the end of the war, Hanny was executed. Oh, goodness. It's sad, Mm -hmm. but wait for this. But wait for it. Okay. Okay. While the sisters were able to get through the war completely unnoticed by Nazi powers, Hanny had been cited during an attempted assassination and became a wanted target of the Nazis, who only knew her as the girl with red hair. Oh. Which, have you heard of? I think so. That sounds vaguely familiar. She's of the three. 
they like gave a hierarchy. Hanny's the most famous. Mm-hmm. Trues follows that, mm-hmm. and Freddie was the least known of all of them. Mm-hmm. But sort of in recent times has gone up in pop- popularity mm-hmm. because she was the last of them alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a movie called Girl with the Red Hair. Okay. And yeah. there's another one being made, and I think Amelia Clark was casted as Hanny. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Could be wrong, but I believe I'm right. So, once she was famously given this title, label, whatever, mm-hmm. she dyed her hair black. Mm. Obviously. Duh. If you're known as the girl with red hair on a wanted list, by <laughs> you're just gonna buy a box hair dye. Mm-hmm. Ammonia be damned. <laughs> In March 1945... Hanny was caught by German soldiers at a checkpoint while transporting underground papers and a pistol on her bicycle. She was held by the Nazis and interrogated and tortured. And after her roots grew out, Mm. she was identified as the girl with the red hair. And also, I think another person was like, yeah, that's definitely Mm -hmm. Hanny. She was taken to the dunes of Blomendal. Oh, good job. That (laughs) sounded good. Uh, Where she was to be executed. Two men took her there, and one shot her at close range, only wounding her. At this point, it is believed that she then mocked the man and said, I shoot better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After which the other men delivered the final shot. Mm. And she died. After the war at the dunes where she was shot, 422 bodies of members of the resistance were found. 421 of those fallen were men, and Hanny was the lone woman in the mass grave site. Hanny was honored posthumously. Good job. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) With the Dutch Cross of Resistance and the Medal of Freedom. After the war, Trues married a fellow resistance fighter and was open about her experiences in the war and worked as a sculptress and public speaker. She established the National Hanny Shaft Memorial Foundation and wrote a book called Not Then, Not Now, Not Ever. In 2014, she was awarded the Mobilization War Cross for her acts of the resistance during the war, which was the first time that they were recognized for it. 2014. Wow. And she, Trues, um, passed away in 2016 at the age of 92. Freddie decided that after the war, she wanted to try and live a fairly normal life. She settled down with a man who was not part of the resistance and had kids. She served as a board member on the National Hanny Schaff Foundation. And in 2014, with her sister, she was also awarded with the Mobilization War Cross for her acts of resistance during the war. And she passed away in 2018, one day before her 93rd birthday. Holy cats. Yeah. Those... Those are some broads with monkeys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's a little sad. So Hanny, Hanny was obviously all of the resistance fighters were taken out of the dunes and buried properly mm-hmm. and given honors. But Hanny, because she was a part of the communist party mm-hmm. during the Red Scare and the Cold War, it then became illegal to commemorate her death. Oh. And so, like, Trues and her were really close friends, uh-huh. and she could no longer visit her grave. Oh, no. But then, after 
to put it in a light way, after the Cold War blew over, <laughs> um, they, they were then able to commemorate her again. Uh-huh. And that was still while oh, okay. Trues was alive. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I didn't write that down, but then in the moment just decided to throw that in. Good to know. Yeah. That was really good. I like that a lot. Yeah. I can understand how you were like, ooh, are you doing that? And you were like, no, that's, no. <laughs> yeah. You I s- love that there's a whole three of them. Yeah. Like, what a, what a young, so young. There are just babies. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, I, I'm what? Nine years older than you. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half, nine. I, I just, I look at I you said, and I'm like, I said, yes. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. I'm right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I look at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, Canna's so young. And then I think I'm like 14. Mm-hmm. They're just fresh-faced and weird teenagers and, like, so, so little. Puberty is just kind of hitting them. Gosh. Those are some bad bitches. Yeah. That's so brave. Can you, I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. at 12 being like, excuse me, not 12, (laughs) at 14 being like, yeah, sure, I'm into it. Let's do this. Yeah. And, like, Freddie... So it took until 2014 for them to be recognized. Yeah. But for 70 plus years later. Post-war, Freddie was, I don't know, still in her teens. Yeah. Yeah. And 19 probably at this time. Mm-hmm. And everybody ignored her because she was like, they were like, you're, you're literally 12. Not actually, but you know, oh the, the age mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. throw when they're younger than you. <laughs> but she's like, please listen to me. I did shit. And they're like, oh, that's sweet. Go away. Right? <laughs> Pat her on the head and go on and play. <laughs> oh, you have such a wild imagination. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. That was them. That was them. And remind me again, what was the the group called? Harlem Resist- Harlem Council of Resistance. Harlem Council of Resistance. Harlem with two A's. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Google that. Because remember, old New York... Oh, yes. Was once New Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Why'd they change it? I, I can't say. People, people just, just like it better. Good jam. I like that. All right. <clears throat> that means it's my turn. I'm just going to adjust myself into position here. Cassie's up to bat. I'm up to bat. Okay. Here we go. This one, again, much like last week, I was like, what? <clears throat> I've been given the, uh, the, the finger. The f- <laughs> Danny gave me the finger. <laughs> just to move up. Yeah, just not not that finger. Just the, the come close, speak into the microphone <laughs> finger. Okay. Much like last week, I was kind of going back and thinking about the women that we've talked about the last, I don't know how many episodes, 15? Yeah. Is this 15? 15. Holy cats. <laughs> and how many, like, what these women do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, so I did STEM last week. Mm-hmm. And this week I'm doing an athlete. Um, because I, we haven't done Modesta. Mm-hmm. Is... She's an athlete. She was a dancer. Yeah. So this week, I'm talking about an Olympian. 
If um, you're doing somebody who I called dibs on, I'm going to be so mad at you. Who is it? <laughs> oh, no. I didn't even look at the list. Who is it? Wilma Rudolph. Okay, you're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much tension in the air just now, guys. I was I, so scared. I thought you were going to. I was like. <laughs> no. There were a lot of them that I contemplated doing. Okay. But. We're we're good. Okay. We don't have to end the podcast. <laughs> we don't. I'm not fired. That's always good. Yeah. Okay. Where am I? Okay. Oh, who is it? Say it. Say it again. <laughs> Wilma Rudolph. Okay. So, Wilma Rudolph was born on June 23rd, 1940 in St. Bethlehem, Tennessee. Her mother, Blanche, worked as a housekeeper, while her father, Ed, was a railway porter and just a general handyman. Fun fact, <laughs> she was the 20th of 22 siblings. Get the... But, f- okay. <laughs> so her her father had been married twice. Okay. I don't know the breakdown. Each? I don't I don't know the breakdown, but at the bare minimum, it's 11 each. And either way you go, it just gets bigger on one side. <laughs> Look on Kiana's face. Her eyes are so big. That's just so many kids. Mm-hmm. Let's hope it was 11 and 11 and not like 19 and 3. Oh, God, that's so many. Everybody just take the time now. Give our praises to birth control. Amen. And let's hope we get to keep accessible access to that. 22 kids is... Listen, I'm not, you know... It's 22 too many. <laughs> Their house was so sticky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how they got into this mess. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I would like to point out, I'm the only one who's had anything mm-hmm. to drink today, and these two are just killing it with the puns. <laughs> I can't. Okay. <sighs> 22 siblings. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> so Wilma was the runt of the family. Uh, when she was born, she was only 4.5 pounds. Mom was running out of juice. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I got nothing left. She's all shriveled up. She's like, there hasn't been birth control around here in 25 years. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my God. Being born so tiny and weak, uh, she struggled to simply stay alive through her early childhood. Wilma suffered from several early childhood illnesses, including double pneumonia and scarlet fever. And then at the age of five, she caught polio and then was struck with infantile paralysis. Oh, jeez. Which is bad. Yeah, that's not, like, great. No, it's <laughs> It's real... not the bee's knees. <laughs> it's not A1 or Primo. It's not <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> um, <clears throat> while she managed to recover from polio, she consequently lost all the strength in her left leg and foot. I think I know who this is. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm positive you do. Okay. So... 
a quote from her. She said, my doctor told me I would never walk again. My mother told me I would. I believed my mother. Mom's always right. Mom's always right. When, except when she's wrong. Except when she's not right at all. <laughs> at the age of six, she began to hop on one foot to get around, which just seems like a bummer. I hope there weren't a lot of stairs in her house. And there had to be. The, for 22 people to live <laughs> in There had it? to be stories. Mm-hmm. That was an apartment building. <laughs> True. It's absolutely. It was not a, it's not a one, we're not talking ranch style. No. By any means. As a walk up, a lot of square footage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where was I? She soon began to wear a leg brace, a la Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. much like that one. And then also she she wore an orthopedic shoe to assist in walking. There was very little medical care available to African Americans in Clarksville, which is like just outside of um, uh, Memphis. Walking in Memphis. <laughs> jumping. <laughs> jumping with my right foot on the ground. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, I it's okay. whispered that. It's fine. <laughs> so, Wilma and her mother made weekly bus trips to Nashville, which is about 50 miles away okay. for treatment. Wilma was homeschooled during her current kindergarten and first grade years since she was almost always fighting an illness and she was doing a bunch of at-home therapies to regain the use of her leg. She began attending second grade at Cobb, that's me, (laughs) (laughs) at Cobb Elementary School in 1947 uh, and she was seven years old and then by the age of 12 she had overcome the debilitating effects of polio and she learned to walk without her her leg brace or her shoe. Man, that's... I mean, perseverance, dedication. That's a fucking rough first 12 years of your life. Yeah. You can walk, then you can't walk, then you gotta hop, then you gotta relearn how to walk. All while suffering from double pneumonia and scarlet fever and polio. It's a bad time. And having... 21 siblings. Yeah. There was never peace and quiet in that home. Oh, my God. Mm -mm. Wilma was first introduced to organized sports at Burt High School, which was an all-black school at the center of Clarksville's African-American community. Following in her sister Yolanda's footsteps, she began playing basketball in eighth grade. She continued to play basketball in high school, where she became a starter on the girls' basketball team in her sophomore year. Which is very impressive. Mm-hmm. She scored 803 points her sophomore year. Jeez. And she set a new record for high school uh, girls basketball. Dang. Yeah. She went from zero to 60 pretty fucking quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's only, yeah. Between, what, 12 and, like, your sophomore year? How old are you when you're a sophomore? Like, 15, 15. or 16? Yeah. Yeah. So, right quick. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, her coach gave her the nickname Skeeter, <laughs> just short for Mosquito, uh, because she moved so fast on the court. Oh. hmm To keep herself busy between seasons, Wilma also joined the track team. So, the same year, in 10th grade, she competed at Alabama's Tuskegee Institute in her first major track event. So, she lost the race. Mm-hmm. 
But she was spotted by Tennessee State University's track and field coach, Ed Temple. So Ed Temple invited Wilma, who was 14 years old at the time. We've covered a lot of 14 year olds. We sure have. Both of these girls, Mm -hmm. as young girls, Mm -hmm. really just fucking took off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Huh? She's a runner. (laughs) (laughs) Where was I? Oh, yeah. So he invited 14-year-old Wilma to join his summer training program at TSU. After attending the, the track camp, she won all nine events that she entered at an amateur athletic union track meet in Philadelphia. Jeez. So two years after she learned how to rewalk mm-hmm. because her whole left leg and foot did not work, mm-hmm. she's then annihilating people <laughs> in races. I mean, at a college level. From a young age, she had to learn how to keep with it. Yeah. Per- I mean, that's some serious perseverance. Yeah. So, Wilma continued to train at Tennessee State, and as a junior in high school, at just 16 years old, she attended the 1956 U.S. Olympic track and field team trials. Jeez. Yes. Yep. And and th- these were in Seattle. And there, she qualified... P-N-Dub. <laughs> P-N-Dub. <laughs> that, that's Pacific Northwest, for anybody who doesn't know. And for people who don't know, fuck you, nerds. <laughs> so aggressive. I'm real sorry. Honestly, I haven't... So, as we stated last episode, I haven't drank alcohol, caffeine, or... Oh, yeah. So She's a little on edge. I've been on water this whole time, and, like, maybe sneaking in a green tea once a week. Mm-hmm. And this kombucha has ca- more caffeine than what I've had in weeks. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's getting to me. Oh, girl. She's had two of them. <laughs> no, this is my first. Oh, I thought you drank the other one earlier. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Well, she's just had one and it's not done yet, so. And I'm... Oh, boy. On edge. Continue. Okay. <laughs> I thank you for permission for that. <laughs> okay. So, at the team trials in Seattle, she qualified to compete in the 200-meter individual event. At the 1956 Summer Olympics in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, it's pronounced Melbourne. Melbourne, Melbourne <clears throat> Australia. Excuse me. There's no er in there. Yeah. <clears throat> I like listening to Karen <laughs> say it on yeah. MFM. I'm like, say it again. <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> Wilma was the youngest member of the U.S. Olympic team. And she was one of five TSU. Their team name was the Tiger Bells. And I was like, oh, that's cute. (laughs) To qualify for the 1956 Olympics. Okay. So, we're at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So, she was defeated in a preliminary heat of the 200 meter race. Mm -hmm. Fine. But then, she ran the third leg of the four by 100 meter relay, Mm -hmm. which just a little, this will surprise probably a lot of people. (laughs) In high school, I was in track, Mm -hmm. uh, track and field, and I threw the shot put and discus, Mm -hmm. but I also ran the 100, oh, sorry, I'm not talking to the microphone. I also ran 
the 100-meter relay and, with a team and also the 100-meter sprints. Oh, because gosh. I can't run far, <laughs> but I can run short distances fairly quickly. <laughs> I track stories. Mm-hmm. I was like the opposite when I did track mm-hmm. because I threw, but then if they needed me to, I'd run the 1500 because mm-hmm. I couldn't run oh. far, mm-hmm. cannot run fast. Oh, well. So if we're being chased, might seem <laughs> like you're going to escape, but know that it's going to be me. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> of the three of us, I'm gonna die first. <laughs> Sorry about it. It's just I'm like a bottle rocket. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but both both Kiana and Danny can run longer <laughs> than I can. That's all they gotta do is just outrun me. I just remembered a, a dumb story from track. Okay. So on we had a real small track team because mm-hmm. not a lot of people came out for sports at my high school. And so on, like, the first track meet, okay, they had people, like, doing stuff that they wouldn't normally do. Uh-huh. And so they put my fucking ass in high <laughs> jump. <laughs> and there's the the way you jump, you know, mm-hmm. with your back and you, like, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> over. lob yourself over. Mm-hmm. And... I was standing there with my coach, with my throwing coach, mm-hmm. and I was like, you cannot expect me to do this. Mm-mm. So it was like, it was literally the first meet of like the whole season. Uh-huh. So I was super, I was running and just like Superman diving mm-hmm. over the high jump. And for like two weeks, mm-hmm. I was one of the top 10 high jumpers <laughs> in Oregon. <laughs> But just, like, strictly because, like, some some of the bigger schools hadn't had track meets mm-hmm. yet. And, like, oh my gosh, that's the people were thing. still getting into the groove of things and were doing that back, the back one. Mm-hmm. But I, because we were checking stats mm-hmm. and I was checking, like, my shot put stand, my discus. Mm-hmm. And then one of my friends who did high jump was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing better than me? <laughs> What is this? And it was just like a a lovely little little moment for me. Oh, how exciting. I wonder what it feels like to be the, the best high jumper. I'll never know. I wasn't the best. I well, was top ten. To- tomato, tomato. <laughs> I mean. Did you just say tomato, tomato? I did. I usually say tomato slut, which is, there's a long story behind it, but tomato, tomato just came out. Sorry. Okay. Sorry to keep interrupting. Anyway. That's okay. Where was I? Okay. So, anyway, she did the relay. The American team of Wilma, Wilma Rudolph, Isabel Daniels, Mae Figs, and Margaret Matthews, all of whom were TSU Tiger Bells, won the bronze medal, matching the world record time of 44.9 seconds. That's fast. That's very fast. The British team won the silver medal. And the Australian team won the gold medal in a time of 44.5 seconds. So four tenths of a second faster. Yeah. So, yeah. After Wilma returned to Tennessee, she showed her high school classmates her bronze medal that she had won. And she decided to try and win a gold. (laughs) Casual. Yeah, real cash. During her senior year of high school, Wilma became pregnant with her first child, Yolanda, named after her sister. 
one of her many, many sisters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Yolanda was born in 1958, just a few weeks prior to her enrollment at TSU. Wilma's enrollment, not yeah. Yolanda's enrollment. <laughs> Real smart baby. <laughs> Super smart. So smart. She's in utero still. Then in 1959, at the Pan American Games in Chicago, she won a silver medal in the 100-meter individual event, as well as a gold medal with her teammates in the 4x100-meter relay. Well, okay, so that's when um that's her first year of college Mm -hmm. when she was a sophomore at tennessee state she competed in the the track and the olympic track and field trials at abilene christian university in texas and there she set a world record in the 200 meter dash that stood for eight years before it was changed (laughs) and obviously she also qualified for the 1960 olympic games okay So, we're at the 1960 Summer Olympics. Okay. Picture it. Okay. We're in Rome. Beautiful. Italy. Just in case. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of Romes. So, Wilma is competing in three events. The 100-meter sprints, 200-meter sprints, and the 4 by 100 relay. 100-meter sprints. Sprints. She wins a gold. With a, quote, wind-aided time of 11 seconds. Get out. I takes me 11 seconds to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I was like, I'm. am I reading this right? 11 seconds. It was blew my mind. However, the record-setting time was not credited as a world record because the wind was blowing a little bit faster than it's allowed to blow. So, like, it carried her? Yes. Yeah. They were like, well, the so, okay, I actually wrote it down. The wind was blowing at 3.01 yards per second, mm-hmm. which is 2.75 meters, but yards I can at least put into perspective. Mm-hmm. And the maximum... That it can be blowing to aid you is two meters or 2.2 yards. So it was 0.75 meters per second faster. Mm-hmm. So she didn't, she, they were like, you get the gold because you were still the fastest, but we can't enter it. We can't enter it as a world record because the wind was blowing a little too hard. That's wild. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know that was a rule. I did not either. There were a whole lot of things reading this that I was like, nah. <laughs> so that's the one hundred. That's the one hundred meter sprints. So then two hundred meter sprints. She wins another gold medal, mm-hmm. the time of twenty four seconds, after already setting a new Olympic record at twenty three point two seconds in the opening heat. Ooh. So she's got two golds. And then as the 4x100 relay approaches, the temperature is climbing. It's the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It peaked at 110 degrees. Ugh. Yeah. That makes me sweat just thinking about yeah. it. It's so hot. Wilma and her TSU, <laughs> TSU team are hauling ass. Mm-hmm. Wilma is the anchor leg of the race mm-hmm. and nearly dropped the baton at the pass. 
But she recovered and then overtook Germany's anchor to win another gold medal in a super close finish, clocking in at 44.5 seconds. Jeez. It's, it blows my mind how fast <laughs> these people are. It's so crazy. So Wilma Rudolph became the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympiad. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And she said her special personal reason to, like, fight for this victory and to keep trying was to pay tribute to her inspiration, Jesse Owens. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, don't know if you know, for anybody who doesn't know, yeah. quick history lesson, Jesse Owens was, he was the first black runner mm-hmm. for the United States U.S. Olympic team. Mm-hmm. In, and he raced in Nazi Germany mm-hmm. in the 1940, no, oh gosh, look, I'm I don't a, know. I don't know. In, in the, it's in Nazis, the, Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany. And it was, it was groundbreaking and mm-hmm. it really, it shook people. And. And. The, uh, I really like Jesse Owens. Uh-huh. One of the most symbolic things about it was this is when Hitler was pus- pushing his message of yes. white supremacy. Uh-huh. And he was like, we're going to do great in the games. Mm-hmm. And then Jesse Owens swept. Stomped everyone. And mm-hmm. seeing this black man mm-hmm. spit in the face of mm-hmm. white supremacy pissed Hitler off. And he, w- while the American anthem was playing, as it does when mm-hmm. you went first, mm-hmm. he showed his back. To Jesse Owens. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And another thing, because it's just important to know, mm-hmm. he, he's praised and for all of this. When he came back to the U.S., he was broke and nobody would give him money and he couldn't get a job because he was a black man. That's right. And so to make money, he would race horses and win. Yeah. Ed, he is an absolute inspiration. Yeah. I get it, Wilma. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's I didn't cool. know that. Hmm. Yeah. Learning something new literally every day. If any, I've seen the documentary 10,000 times. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but prior to like every Olympic game uh-huh. on like ESPN, oh, or, yeah. they always play the Jesse Owens documentary. That's right. Go look it up, guys. Yeah. It's a good one. Where was I? Wilma was one of the most popular athletes of the 1960 Rome Olympics and emerged from the games as... She was called the Tornado. Mm-hmm. She was called the fastest woman on earth. Mm-hmm. The Italians nicknamed her La Gazella Nera, which mm-hmm. means the black gazelle. Mm-hmm. And then the French called her La Perle Noire, which is the black pearl. Like, hold the Jack Sparrow joke. <laughs> I was like, no pirate jokes, no pirate jokes. <laughs> So, along with other 1960 Olympic athletes, such as Cassius Clay, Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali, Oscar Robertson, who is a basketball player, and Rafer Johnson, who is a decathlete, all of them are, they're all black athletes. Mm -hmm. Wilma became an international superstar due to the first worldwide television coverage of the Olympics that year. Dang. So... The Olympics launched Wilma into the public spotlight, and the media cast her as America's athletic leading lady and a queen. 
and she was praised, uh, you know, because of her athletic accomplishments as well as her feminine beauty and poise. Mm -hmm. Her gold medal victories in Rome propelled her to become one of the most highly visible black women across the United States and around the world. Fucking go, Wilma. Yeah. That is unheard of in in 1960. Yeah. Like, we are smack dab in the middle of the civil rights movement. Mm Mm-hmm. So, to be a black woman held to such high held esteem. to such high esteem is mm-hmm. su- is super important and really it's really good exposure and like for other black people to see this one be like see mm-hmm. see this yeah, yeah. representation um, rep- that was the word I couldn't fucking think of last <laughs> night I was like you know seeing yourself in things <laughs> I could not come up with representation. Wilma returned home to Clarksville after competing in the Olympics and then doing a European tour. And when she arrived home, Clarksville, as a city, celebrated Welcome Wilma Day on October 4th of 1960. And she came home. There's this big, huge party. There is a parade, a full day of festivities. And her homecoming parade and banquet became the first fully integrated municipal event in the city's history. Wow. Yeah. She was like, no, 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 no. If we're going to do this, it's going to be fully integrated. Mm -hmm. Everybody can come. Yeah. And then an estimated 1,100 people attended the banquet in her honor, and then thousands lined the city streets to watch the parade. Wilma also made appearances on... A TV show called To Tell the Truth, <laughs> and then The Ed Sullivan Show. These all helped promote her as a sports star. Mm-hmm. Where? Okie dokie. Here we go. In 1961, Wilma married William Ward, who was a handsome track member from a rival school. Oh. But they divorced shortly after in 1963. She's a junior in college mm-hmm. in 1960. When she went to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. She competed. She won. Came home. Got married. Got divorced a couple of years later. She retired from track competitions at the age of 22. Basically because she wanted to leave the sport while she was still at her best. She was like, if I go again and I only win two golds, mm-hmm. then something will be lacking. Yeah. And Aww. it just won't be as fulfilling. So she was like, I'm good. I've done my time. I I did what I needed to do. So at the peak of her career, she retired. And after retiring, Wilma graduated with a bachelor's degree in elementary education from Tennessee State University. In early 1963, she made a month-long trip to West Africa as a goodwill ambassador for the U.S. State Department. And then... So she served as a U.S. representative to the 1963 Friendship Games in Senegal. Mm. And then she visited Ghana and Guinea, Mm -hmm. Mali, and Upper Volta, which I don't think is a country anymore. Yeah, I don't. There she attended sporting events, visited schools, made guest appearances on television and radio shows. A few weeks after returning from Africa... Wilma participated in a civil rights protest in her hometown of Clarksville in an effort to desegregate 
one of the city's restaurants. Within a short time, the mayor announced that the city's public facilities, including its restaurants, would become fully integrated and completely wiped out segregation in Clarksville. Yay! (laughs) I I put yay. And then she married her high school sweetheart. (laughs) Aw, Danny's my sweetheart. (laughs) I need to go home and tell Zeth how much of a sweetheart he is. You're a sweetheart. That's so cute. Anyway, she married Robert Eldridge, who is Yolanda's, her her little girl Yolanda's mm-hmm. dad. Oh, okay. So when she okay. went away to college, they, you know. Separated. They separated and didn't, their relationship didn't continue. And then they were like, but we love each other. We're going to get married. And they were together uh, for 17 years and had three more children. Mm. After she graduated college, she began teaching second grade at Cobb Elementary School. Where she went. Where she went. Exactly. And then she also coached track at the same high school that she had attended. So talk about coming full <laughs> right. circle and, like, giving back to her community, mm-hmm. I think, is really, like, keeping it all, Yeah, you that's know. great. Yeah. Yeah. That made me smile. I was like, oh. She's just she's just given back to the places that that gave her something. She also worked for nonprofit organizations and government sponsored projects that supported athletic development among American children. She was involved with Job Corps. Uh, she was a track specialist for Operation Champion. She established and led the Wilma Rudolph Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that trains young athletes. She hosted a local television show in Indianapolis a little bit later in life. She was a publicist for Universal Studios and was a sports commentator for ABC during the 1984 Summer Olympics in L.A. Man, she's keeping busy. She's very busy, and which is kind of crazy because she died young. She died fairly young. So in July of 1994, very shortly after her mom died, Wilma was diagnosed with brain cancer and throat cancer. Mm. It was a real one-two punch. And her health declined very, very quickly. And she died on November 12th, 1994 uh, at the age of 54. Oh, wow. So, she yeah. She was young. It was a very, it was, and it was a very sudden, like, she didn't, nobody saw it coming, and it just, like, she was diagnosed f- four months later, yeah. five months later. It was very quick. Thousands of mourners filled TSU's Keene Hall on November 17th, 1994, for the memorial service. And then across Tennessee, the state flag flew at half-mast. Oh, which I thought was really, um, was really, like, honorable and lovely. Yeah. yeah. So, some of her, I'm just blazing through this. I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm just, like, blah, 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 blah. No, But there's a lot of information that I wanted to make sure got addressed. So, Wilma Rudolph has been inducted into the Black Sports Hall of Fame in 1973. The U.S. National Track and Field Hall of Fame, 1974. 
the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, 1983, the National Women's Hall of Fame, 1994, National Black Sports and Entertainment Hall of Fame in 2001. Wow. Yeah. She's made great strides. Yeah. So in, 19, in 1984, the Women's Sports Foundation selected Rudolph as one of the five greatest women athletes in the United States. And in 1996, so two years after she had passed, Mm -hmm. the foundation presented its first Wilma Rudolph Courage Award to, care to guess who? She's a a black athlete. She was a runner. Nope. (laughs) To Jackie Joyner Kersey. Oh, Who then went on to be a gold medalist at the Olympics and world record setter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In April 1996, a life-size bronze statue of Rudolph was erected at it was in Clarksville, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Tennessee State University named its indoor track in in Wilma's honor. Oh. They also dedicated a new six-story dormitory as a new residence center for women in graduate programs. Let's see. In 1997, er, <laughs> <laughs> in 1997, Governor Don Sunquist proclaimed that June 23rd be known as Wilma Rudolph Day in Tennessee. Uh, the December 29th, 1999 issue of Sports Illustrated ranked Wilma Rudolph first on its list of the top 50 greatest sports figures of the 20th century. Yo. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, on July 14th, 2004, the uh, the U.S. Postal Service issued a 23-cent postage stamp, with it's number five of five, in the Distinguished Americans series in recognition of her accomplishments. Wow. Yeah. She's so, cool. I didn't, I didn't know any of this. Again, yeah. I was like, Athletes. And just started going through it. And I was like, damn, she she really took the cake as far as, like, br- she broke records. Yeah. The the fact that she came home with, she was the first woman to be like, not only do I have one gold medal, <laughs> I brought home three. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She's I'm- great. I'm really happy we're doing this. I just like I learning am, about. I know, me too. And like putting stories to names, mm-hmm. like not even like you know, like name to faces, but like absolutely. But but instead of just going, oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, it's like, but do you really, or do you just know the name and like a sentence? Yeah, about this person. Yeah, Rudolph track runner. Exactly. Like, but to to give her like childhood, whole, her childhood and. What she went through, mm-hmm. we actually, in our, as as part of our Patreon thing, mm-hmm. which hopefully when you're listening to this is all up and ready, so go check it out <laughs> <laughs> at That Broad's Got Moxie, you know, some of our, some of our donors mm-hmm. will be receiving postcards. We got that oh, yeah. big, that big stack of postcards that was like, what is it, 50 Rebel 50 Rebel Girls, like, goodnight stories for Rebel Girls or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she's one of them. And 
I read it very briefly. It's got two little sentences on the back that said she came, she overcame polio and had to relearn how to walk and mm-hmm. then became a U.S., you know, gold medalist. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of athletes in there, but. That's she, awesome. Mm-hmm. Because we're, like I said, we're somewhere in the time-space continuum. <laughs> You'll never know where we are. You, it's You'll true. never catch us. You'll never. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. We're recording this. It is currently April. This mm-hmm. will come out middle of May. But who knows what will be accomplished mm-hmm. between now and then. <laughs> but I will we'll keep everybody posted on our Instagram and Facebook about when our, specifically about when our Patreon is up and ready and how we're going to do Has that. Has content. Has content, yeah. yeah. You want to do the, the social medias or should I? Yeah. Okay. So if you're interested. Or just do it. Please follow us on our social media accounts. We are at that Broad's Got Moxie. On Facebook and Instagram. And Mm -hmm. on Twitter, we are at Moxie. That's right. And rate, review, and subscribe us wherever Mm -hmm. you're listening. We love those those reviews. Mm -hmm. Keep them coming. And get in touch with us if you have comments or questions for us or suggestions. Or even if you have, like, great stories about, you know, badass broads in your life, Mm -hmm. uh, shoot us an email. At thatbroadsgotmoxie at gmail.com. We want to hear from all of you lovely mm-hmm. listeners. Yes. And, um, tell me. Shaw probably should have mentioned this at the beginning. What's up? Special shout out to Poppy and Puddin' Crafts. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. She's uh, the best. If you remember from, like, way back when. Uh-huh. Uh, I had told the story of my blobfish earrings. Mm-hmm. And she listens, the creator. Yes. And heard, and at the extra party, gave me not only the blobfish earrings, but the oxalotls, and mm-hmm. then gave Cassie. She gave me banana slugs. <laughs> <laughs> and I love them. And we, we, so we wore, we wore our fancy new earrings at the extra party, and they mm-hmm. were so cute, and I love them. I can't wait to, I'm going to wear them in London and be like, oh, yes. <laughs> see how rad and cool I am with my banana slug earrings. I smile every time I see those blobfish. Oh, they're so good. I Finally. I screamed. <laughs> when Kiana, so we walked in the house and Kiana goes. Already drunk. You ha- Yeah, already <laughs> drunk because we showed up late. She goes, you have to come upstairs. <laughs> It so seriously, and I was like, "Uh oh, am I in trouble?" <laughs> and she goes, "You can't come in the bedroom." <laughs> I was like, "Okay," and so she brings out this little bag with these little earrings, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then she showed me her blobfish that she was wearing, and I could not stand it. They're so cute, and they're they're real light, like they're not heavy, like mm-hmm. big earrings. Yeah. Ugh. They're Should perfect. have mentioned that at the top. I, I know. Well, I'll mention it again. This maybe. is, and this is the problem that we face when we're <laughs> when we're recording now, and it comes out in a month. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. But that's okay. We'll give you. We're we're gonna give her mad shout outs, and mm-hmm. I'll post about her on our Insta. We'll take, we'll take <laughs> pictures when I come over to raid your closet later. Yeah. I will. I'll bring. I'll bring my banana slugs, and we can. We can take a, a quick selfie with our earrings and post it. Yeah. Because they're so cute. I think that's it. Yes. I think, yeah. 
，呃，拜拜。